Welcome to this Stroke Journey podcast, brought to you by the National Stroke Education Center at the University of Cincinnati, your premier source for comprehensive diagnostic and therapeutic stroke education from the pre-hospital and emergency settings through the ICU and rehabilitation. Please welcome today's host, Dr. William Knight. Hello. My name is Bill Knight, and I'm an emergency physician and neurointensivist from the University of Cincinnati. Today, I'm coming to you with the National Stroke Education Center and my friend and colleague, Dr. Moshe Mizrahi, one of my neurocritical care partners in the neuro ICU at the University of Cincinnati. Moshe, great to have you here today. It's nice to be here. Thanks, Dr. Knight. Today, we have the enviable task of discussing, I would call it a stroke syndrome, but it's more of a, a neurologic, and I'm going to use the word disability, that it's not commonly discussed, reviewed, or, or sometimes even captured largely probably because of the NIH stroke scale as well as the way that we examine patients, frankly, in the emergency department and, and elsewhere, probably out of the neurologic realm. And that's ataxia and maybe even a little bit more uh, confusing, dystaxia. Can you help me break down, let's start very basic, and break down the difference between ataxia and dystaxia and then we'll kind of move into why that's important as it pertains to stroke as a disease syndrome. Yes, of course. So ataxia and dystaxia is just in, in essence a spectrum of a lack of muscular coordination. So it has it's more of an umbrella term to discuss many different disorders, typically secondary to posterior circulation strokes. Um, so ataxia would be a lack of muscular coordination as opposed to a dystaxia, which in essence is not so much of a lack, but generally so, some degree of, of incoordination. So why is that important for, say, an emergency physician who's evaluating patients with undifferentiated disease? They don't come in with cerebellar strokes. They come in with dizziness and weakness and can't walk. And so why is this, I won't even call it the distinction because maybe the distinction isn't as important as just recognizing some disorder of that incoordination. Well, it's very important because, as we know, posterior circulation infarctions can actually lead to death. Um, basal artery occlusions are really big. We need to be able to detect them. Um, and we need some sort of scale that accurately and, and reliably detects these findings. So ataxia, as you know, in the NIH show scale is actually meant to be tested for finger-to-nose and heel-to-shin testing. I mean, that's just one way of actually testing for a, a specific type of ataxia called dysmetria. But there are other things that we don't include. So on one hand, you know, posterior circulation findings are very important. They account for 20 to 40 percent of, of strokes. Uh, three, we could do a better job in trying to detect them, and, and finger-to-nose and heel-to-shin testing may not be sufficient. So just like you said, many of these patients come in with vertigo, diplopia, dysphagia, dizziness, vertigo, all these things, which are very key findings in order to, to, to reliably detect a posterior circulation infarction. But there are, none of those are included in the NIH stroke scale. Tell me a little bit about some of that long-term disability. Sometimes we don't appreciate that as much in the emergency department based on either perceptions of people getting better or being able to adapt to a disability? How does an ataxia or, or a dystaxia affect a patient long term? So, so while dysmetria is in one hand the inability to, to gauge distance and range, um, there are other things that, again, are not testable, that we, that we do not test in the NIH trail scale, but in comprehensive neurological examination. So wide base gait, which is important for balance, 
things such as uh, scanning speech and dysarthria and dysphagia, all of which are very important for swallow, um, again, and also for language. Other things such as diplopia, which is very important for, for means of doing activities of daily living. So these are important to assess. And while there's no no real cure for this the damage to any of these you know injuries the major improvement comes from rehabilitation so the main focus here is one is to to um, assess the severity of any type of ataxia or ataxic disorder and two to get them hooked up with therapy either physical occupation or speech therapy and with time things actually can improve so outside of finger to nose and heel to shin and recognizing that even if we pick the most ataxic human being, the NIH stroke scale, you're going to end up with zero, one, or two on your NIH stroke scale. Do you have any tips or tricks in order to to capture some of the subtleties or those that may be disabling that they look pretty normal just sitting there in the bed, not visibly ataxic? Well, that's the thing, Bill. The inter-rater reliability of ataxia is very poor, um, amongst other elements that are very important for posterior circulation findings. So in essence, it's one of those, just like neglect, it's actually assumed to be normal unless it's demonstrated to be abnormal. So most practitioners, unfortunately, will choose a zero um, because it's not so grossly there or present in regards to any type of, you know, ataxia of finger to nose or heel to shin testing. So again, this makes it very difficult to detect reliably any posterior circulation infarctions. Not any, but, but uh, those types of infarctions. I think what we've done is help muddy the waters a little bit more. These are tough. And even for us, there's no easy answer. And I think that we face this both in our world up in the ICU and as well as down in the emergency department. And I think to me, the biggest takeaway is you've got to look, you've got to examine, you have to do a more detailed exam than even the NIH stroke scale shows um, and have a, a very low threshold for defining that disability when exploring treatment of patients with potential strokes in general, because this this is tough for, for you and I. Would you agree? I totally agree. And the, with the modified NIH stroke scale that was created in 2001, that element of ataxia has been removed. So and that's because of the inter-rater reliability. So unfortunately, we have less elements that are important for reliably detecting vertebral basilar infarctions. Boy, that's a great take home to end with. We are out of time today. Uh, Moshe, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. This is Bill Knight coming to you from the National Stroke Education Center. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. This Stroke Journey podcast is a collaboration between the National Stroke Education Center, M. Craig International, and MedEd On The Go. For more comprehensive, high-quality educational resources for healthcare professionals, please visit strokejourney.com.